Imagine your child is struggling with a certain subject in school or a teacher's style is just not making any sense with them. And you know your child is trying, but the grades aren't there. What do you do? Well, welcome to the Thriving Student Podcast with tips to help your child succeed in school. And today we're talking about the importance of your child's learning style and how that relates to UGH homework. I'm John Fuller, and my co-host is our Vice President of Parenting and Youth here at Focus on the Family, Danny Huerta. John, learning well is an essential part of success in life, in our, in our growing up, right? And God has given us all many different styles of the ways we understand and process information. It can sometimes be frustrating. Sometimes. Oh, my word. I remember the one-week project in school. I was the primary parent on task for this this paper. It took five weeks to get a week's worth of work out of the kid. I was just really frustrated. And just, every day it was a battle to get going, and it was a battle to finish without explosions. I, I don't know why that is. Oh, wait, it's because we think differently. <laughs> that is right. I, You know, John, I've counseled parents in this, but I've also had my own. My daughter, I remember one time when she did not want to go to school, and she faked having a stomach issue. We oh, went to gosh. doctors, to specialists, and then she, she was there. She, she kept she, it up for a long time. She was dug in. She did not want to do this. She said she dreaded going in second grade to school. It felt like she was not – it was too much, overwhelming. She hmm. didn't feel like she was connecting, belonging. That's another part of this whole learning style thing. You can feel very different than others. She's a very creative type of thinker. And that style was not working out for her. And then I got to meet with her third grade teacher, and we began to talk about her learning style and how she would brighten up in school. And she tried it. I said, hey, let's try it for a week. Can we just try this? She gave her the opportunity to uh, lead in the class and to tell some jokes and loosen things up, bring down the anxiety a little bit. And she flourished. Mm. I remember her being angry about me talking to her teacher. Man, what a, what a great turning point for but her. But parents have to do that. It's not the teacher's fault. It's something that you and your child have to figure out with the school system if you're going to have success, right? Oh, yes. The teacher wants to be helpful, and she has 20, or he has 20, 30 uh, kids to keep track of and can't necessarily learn every child's learning style, especially right from the beginning. So be upfront with that teacher. Hey, my child learns this way. I know you have many kids and really develop that relationship with a teacher, a friendly relationship that you're both co-teaching. Yeah, we've had some situations where we've had to get, sit down, uh, you know, multiple times with the school and, and some of the teachers to help one of our kids in particular. Uh, we did homeschool for a while, so when we had to sit down with the teacher, it was me addressing Dina. In this case, uh, it, it's a whole school full of people that I need to get on my team, and working with them is vital if you're going to help them understand how your kid is wired and how to really advance uh, successfully. So we're talking about learning styles, and as we do that, one of our best experts ever that we talk to here at Focus on the Family is Dr. Kathy Cook. She is the president and founder of Celebrate Kids Incorporated and has influenced so many families around the world through her advice. And this interview we have for you is based on a great book she wrote called Eight Great Smarts, Discover and Nurture Your Child's Intelligences. And here now is Focus on the Family President Jim Daly with more from that conversation. You've written this wonderful book, Eight Great Smarts, Discover and Nurture Your Child's Intelligences. Uh, talk about that, because you mentioned personality type. 
And you can, if you have two children, you have very distinct, different people. Mm-hmm. And I know that's true for me. You have mm-hmm. six kids, John. They're all different. <laughs> so Each you one see is it different. in leaps and bounds. Yeah. But right. talk about that. You can't parent the same way with each child. You've got to come up with unique strategies, right? Absolutely. For personality, for multiple intelligences, for um, spiritual gifts, you know, we're uniquely designed in God's image. You know, John, your children were not designed in yours and your wife's, and that's why, you know, they're different and unique, partly because God is so creative and so complete. So knowing strategies that work best for one kid may not work best for another is freeing to you. It can confuse the kids because it maybe looks like we're not fair. And I love to say to kids, you're not the same, so I don't treat you the same. That would be unfair yeah. because you're more word smart or you're more outgoing or you're more gifted in this way. We expect this from you. We don't expect the same from your brother. That's fair. Now, you mentioned word smart. Let's cover mm-hmm. the eight sure. great smarts as you've identified mm-hmm. them. And uh, and then we'll delve into them one by one. But uh, talk about the eight. Just give us the list. A quick overview. Great. So, And all of us have all eight. If I could start by saying that. Okay. I don't want anyone to listen and go, oh, I don't have that, or my son, or my husband. No, we all have the capacity for all eight. But some are more accentuated? Yes, some are strengths, some are intermediate, some might not be yet awakened if our children are young, or maybe they're not as strong. I think many adults have five or six or maybe even seven that we can rely on very easily, one or two that we maybe have to choose to go to if we want to. But here they are. Here's the eight. Um, Word smart. When we're being word smart, we think with words. If we're excited, we tend to talk and we don't need an audience. Um, (laughs) What, are you talking into a mirror? Yeah, sure. Or we're talking inside of our head when we're excited. I tend to to think that way. Yeah, we talk out loud to process information is often a word smart characteristic. We're also logic smart. And those of us who are logic smart think with questions. We love it when the world makes sense. We tend to gravitate toward math and science. We love to discover information on our own. And then there's picture smart people. All of us, again, are picture smart. Kids who have a lot of picture smart brain cells um, think um, in pictures with their eyes. They tend to be more imaginative and creative. They might go toward art and fiction and history because things come alive in their mind. They may doodle to pay attention to us, actually. And then there's a music smart intelligence. And I really appreciate that this model of intelligences affirms art and music and says to us that these are ways of being smart. This isn't just being creative. This isn't just being talented and artistic. You're talented and artistic because you are smart. And that's a power word. Hmm. And kids need to know they're smart or they're never going to feel as good about themselves. And then they lower their expectations for their tomorrows and they don't achieve maybe as much as they could have. Those of us who are music smart think with rhythms and melodies and music is our energy. We create it when we're excited. So we toe tap, we bebop, we drum our fingers and irritate our brothers, you know. (laughs) Um, And it's it's a good thing to be music smart. And then there's body smart people and we're the ones who move, shake, rattle and roll. We move and we touch and we do it more when you excite us. And we so might it's not be... necessarily ADD. No, it's a great question. ADD, ADHD is a chemical imbalance of the brain. You can actually have that. And you know what I think, Jim, if you've been, if you've taken your kids to a pediatrician and a neurologist and a allergist maybe and a health nutrition person, and there's evidence of ADD, ADHD, any of the other dangerous Ds, so to speak, then call it what it is and medicate if it's appropriate, but don't give them an excuse to be inattentive because they have this 
disability. It's actually a gift that can be channeled for really good things. And what we're doing is we're saying to you kids, you know, you can't do this well because you're this. Well, what if their body's smarter? What if God created them to passionately move? Like I talk with my hands. We're in a radio studio and no one's watching but you and I'm talking with my hands because (laughs) it's part of how I process information. And I don't want to be told I, I shouldn't do that all day long. I won't be able to think well. Well, and that's a problem in, in schools particularly, and, and with boys particularly, because boys tend to move a lot. Absolutely. And I, I remember when my kids were in elementary school, and a really smart teacher said to one of my son's friends in the class, we're going to set you in the back, not as a penalty, mm. but that way you can get up if you want to. And you can stand and move around in the back of the class. And she just kind of told the whole class what was going on. Wow. And uh, and it seemed to work well. And that boy learned and did well in that mm-hmm. class. You know, Jim, if we can give kids the freedom to be who they were created to be and explain the uniqueness factor so that other kids don't get jealous or judgmental, it's powerful. And what I really believe is that when body-smart children who have a need to move and touch can move and touch when they can, then they will be able to handle it more readily when they can't. When they're at grandma's house with fine china, when they're in a restaurant and they need to keep their hands to themselves, they can handle that with a bit more self-control because they know they have freedom later. Right. But on the body smart one, how does a parent parent that body smart child? I mean, I gave an example where a teacher did it. Mm-hmm. But when that fidgety kid is, you know, he's just she or he is doing mm-hmm. what he does. Mm-hmm. How do you refrain from saying, Johnny, stop it. Come on, Johnny, stop it. And the poor kid's going, I can't help it, mom. When it's not um, inappropriate, it's just energy. Right. I think this understanding is really powerful. When parents look at that behavior and go, my child is smart, right there you change your whole perspective toward your child and toward your child's behavior. And what we don't want is paralysis to set in. The brain is like a muscle and it's alive, if you will. And so if a kid hears constantly, sit down, sit down, put that down, sit still, you're driving me nuts – they're going to begin to really feel broken and badly about themselves. And that part of the brain can actually shrink in its size temporarily. Praise God, it can be reawakened later if we do the right kind of a thing. So part of the power in understanding this model is to observe it as behavior, not misbehavior. Interesting. You know, it's misbehavior if a child has been told to sit down and sit still and chooses not to be obedient to that request but it's behavior when it's energy, when they're thinking, when they're learning. We process best by movement. So these kids benefit from clipboards and beanbag chairs and rocking chairs, being allowed to pace. One of the things that I think is very effective, if you need to talk to a body smart child about behavior, about school issues, about friendship issues, about anything, don't make that child sit down and look at you. Right. Let him pace in the kitchen or the dining room or walk up and down the stairs while you're having a serious conversation. If you make him sit and look at you, he may not actually engage with your thoughts well, nearly as much. Right. And so a in-tune parent might say, let's go for a walk. Excellent idea. Yeah. Let's, let's go, go to the swing the side. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's a good way to do that. Okay. There's a couple more. Then we'll come back and get a little deeper with each. Okay. The nature smart intelligence. Um, these are the kids and the adults who think with patterns. So it's really to picture smart because the eyes are engaged, but it's the specific ability to see and recognize and remember the pattern. So I know it's a blue bird, not a blue jay, because I remember where the blue goes on either the body of the bird or the wing of the bird. I know the names of the clouds 
and and I don't. I'm not very nature smart. I I am nature smart because all of us have all eight. I have greater interest than ability. And you'd think that because I fly all the time, I'd want to know the names of those clouds. But because I'm not very nature smart, that vocabulary doesn't stick. Can that change over time? I can remember my boys knowing the names of the clouds. Now when we're driving down the road, I say, what kind of cloud is that? And they go, I forgot. Excellent question. Yes, the awakening, the strengthening, the focusing of the intelligence is an ongoing thing, and it's never too late. So we can, as adults, even increase. Please don't take me camping, though, because (laughs) I don't want to increase my nature smart quite that much. But yes, and here's the thing with kids. They probably had a test to take. Let's be honest. And it was a vocabulary drill, and they learned it for the test, and now their brain needs to focus on other things, and it is okay if they no longer remember that. It's so fun to hear a seven-year-old say cumulus nimbus. You you don't expect that, but it's fun. Uh, Okay, is there another one? There are two more. Okay, so interesting. People smart, people think with other people. So we like to talk, and we need an audience. We get our joy from telling what we know. We're brainstormers and networkers. We'll do our homework best in the kitchen, surrounded by other people probably than in a room alone hmm. which is so interesting yeah a lot of people think that you have to have quiet and there is a place for that yeah i've got a daughter that does that she's at 10 o'clock at night she'll say i'm going off to study with a bunch of friends and i'm thinking i don't know how you do that mm. Mm. yeah we you know what's really interesting john i get a lot of intellectual pursuit accomplished on airplanes even though i talk to no one there those of us who are people smart there's something about the energy of the people, even if we're not interacting with them. Do you either Just of you being relate in to a them? group. Exactly. Yeah. And then if the more people smart we are, the more we enjoy the kind of group. In fact, is radio fun? Doing what we're doing here is a great time, right? Because we're people smart. And we're engaged and we're interacting and we're responding to the body language that we're exhibiting toward each other. And that's a people smart trait. We'll talk more about that later. I would love to unpack that for parents because I think it's being awakened later because of technology and it really concerns me. Mm. But we can move on if you want. Yep, let's hit that last one. The last one is self-smart and it's kind of the exact opposite. So people smart people think with other people. Self-smart people, and this might be you, John, which is why you contrast with your daughter. Self-smart people think deeply inside of themselves by reflection. And more quiet environment. Quiet. Away from others. Peace. Privacy and space. Does that sound like you? My language. (laughs) He's smiling big already. And a lot of people don't have that today, right? Peace, privacy, space, and quiet. Come on, kids and busy parents, and you know, loud apps and games, and the videos are always on. So I'm concerned about that one as well. See, when I hear that, I think boring. Exactly. Of course you do. (laughs) Yeah, but you know what, Jim? You have this intelligence. It's just not as significantly important to you. Well, let's talk about it in a a broad context because you've hit them, and we'll go back and take a look at each, but. Um, for the parent that has a, a deficit, I don't want to say the mm. wrong thing here, but when your smart area is not as smart, uh-huh. maybe that one. Maybe if John were my son, I ne- he's looking at me a little be funny right now. disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> and he's wanting to go be contemplative and to think and maybe sit in his room. I'm, I'm taking that as a parent as a sign of, of rejection. Yeah. He's pulling back. Mm. What do I have to do? And then I go in and want to talk to him, and it's like pestering him even more. So now he's feeling crowded and going, uh, Dad, I just need some space. And then I'm getting more frustrated because why are you saying you need space? You're just a typical teenager. Talk to me. I don't feel like talking to you. How did the differences, the strengths and the lesser strengths, if we could say it that way, how do you have to be aware of that as a parent so you don't trample your children? Oh, How many minutes do we have? Yeah, whatever. Take the time. That was a loaded question. That was so powerful, Jim, because here's what I'd like to say first. 
if your children have always craved quiet, if your children, if they woke up in the crib and they didn't need you to immediately pick them up, if they were two and they played alone well for a few minutes with their dolls, chucks, or blocks, I believe that's self-smart and because it, it's born into us and it shows up really early. You need to then parent this child and, and give this boy or girl space and alone time and chance to reflect and not be offended by that. But it's different if they used to crave you and used to need you and used to always answer your questions very quickly and all of a sudden they're not. Now something's happened, and maybe there's a, a, an interaction issue with you and the family. Maybe there was a peer group thing that went on, and they're scared to talk with you about it. So what I say to parents is, if the behavior changes all of a sudden, something's different. And it could actually be a, an awakening of a smart because of something that's happened. I'm not necessarily saying it's always bad, but it's often indicative that something negative is maybe going on. So that's the first thing I would say. Does that make sense? Well, it does make sense. And you have to be engaged as a parent to feel the contours of that, mm. don't you? I love that word. And I think this information, again, I'm giving language to people who have always observed something. So now we know it's a way of being smart. It's not bad. It's just different. I do respect the challenge of parenting children who are different from you. And you have to recognize as a parent, it's not about you and your happiness. It's about you parenting the child according to God's design of that child. And when children learn this information, you know, when children listen to this broadcast and they go, well, mommy, that's why I sometimes need to be alone. And you keep coming to me and saying what's wrong. And I'm like, nothing's wrong, mommy. I just need some space. Mommy, this is why. I mean, let your kids listen to this with you and give them the empowerment to stand up for themselves respectfully. And every time we talk to Dr. Kathy Cook, I'm trying to apply what I'm hearing to our six kids. Uh, five of them are grown. One is still in the home. And uh, for that one in the home, I keep saying, you are word smart. I've really latched on to Kathy Cook's uh, identification of, of the different types of smarts. And I uh, continually affirm him for his use of words when they're good. Sometimes they're not so good. But I try to channel him by saying, you are smart with words. Use them well. Listen, you're going to want to get a copy of Kathy's book, Eight Great Smarts, Discover and Nurture Your Child's Intelligences. We will send a copy of that to you when you make a generous donation of any amount to Focus on the Family. I'll give our website in just a moment. When you go there, be sure to donate and then look for the five-part video series, Best Year Ever. It's our way of helping you on a regular basis in the coming weeks, and one of the episodes is about helping your kids connect to God in ways that are meaningful for them as individuals. So you can make a donation and get resources at focusonthefamily.com slash thrivingstudent. All right, so Danny, Dr. Cook talked about the freedom that kids need to feel to be who God made them to be. That's one of my challenges Early on, I think I just tried to conform my kids to what I thought they should be. How have you done that? How have you encouraged the uniquenesses of your kids, Alex and Lexi? Well, Alex really wants to be an engineer, and my daughter's just not a natural mathematician. It's been interesting to see the differences between the two. Math comes supernatural to my son, Alex. So he could be. Uh, he could I mean, be. That's what he wants to do, and that's what he wants to be. And recently he said maybe a pastor, an engineer pastor. I don't know the combination of the two. But, <laughs> but he, he's wanting – you know, we, we pursue what we feel we're strong at at mm -hmm. the moment. And that's where he is strong, and I've encouraged him and super excited to see how God has created him. And then my daughter, she wants to be a, a singer, a counselor, a missionary. 
very much a, a creative type, and it shows in their notes at church. It's been interesting to watch them take notes at church. We actually tell them, hey, when you're going to be at church with us, we want to see what you've taken in. You don't have to do this as a way to absorb. You're using an hour while we're at church. And my son will write down the notes. Mm-hmm. My daughter will draw out notes. She, right. she draws a picture with her notes. So it's very different. We encourage those, and we love to see how God has uniquely created each one. So it sounds like he is logic smart, and she is probably picture smart, to use examples that's correct. from Kathy yeah, Cook. Yeah, that's from Kathy Cook. Yeah. Well, we're going to turn now to more practical advice for helping your child succeed in school, and uh, we're going to hear from Cynthia Tobias, who is the founder and CEO of Applied Learning Styles. Uh, She helps train children and teachers on the best way to incorporate their learning style in the educational environment. And uh, Cynthia met with Jim Daly and Dr. Julie Slattery and me about navigating everyday routines of coming home from school. We get home, pick up the kids from school, mm-hmm. get through the door around 4 o'clock, get dinner started. The kids are restless. They're tired. They want a snack. Parents are restless and tired, too. I just want to get the homework done. I just want to say, what do you have for homework? Sit down. Do it. How do you integrate this kind of thing into the busyness of life every single day? Um, you know, How do you sit down with your child and say, well, would you like me to do your homework with you? And... You know, I could probably do that maybe yeah, one day yeah. a month, but... <laughs> I'm guessing you're highly more analytic, right? I am more analytic. Uh, I'm I am. more global. Yeah, like I, I would have guessed that yeah. you're more global, the analytic too. parents are going, look, we only have this many hours, this much time. This is when it makes the most sense for you to do homework. Sit down and get it done. But remember, I'm the time of day is different for different people. I'm a morning person. After school is the worst time for me. Um, sometimes if you can just be honest with me as a parent, you know what? I don't have time to work on your homework with your, or to help you figure it out. I need it done by 9 o'clock tonight. What's it going to take? Where do you need to be? Who do you need? It's, sometimes it's as easy as that. So if, if the whole evening is taken up with arguing about getting things done, where's the family time? Yeah. Where's the time when you really connect and have a relationship with them? Our youngest are the same age. Right. And when he gets home from school, that I can just tell he's done. He's wiped out. But we still have things we need to do. How do you work around that? It's very frustrating. And I I think we need to change the system. But while we're waiting for the system to change, we have to work with the child. And again, looking for even small ways of taking a break, um, small ways of feeling like, oh, I can take a breath. And, you know, because otherwise everything about school is so much drudgery, then they're going to associate that with learning. Mm -hmm. And learning is wonderful. And especially for younger kids, the primary age kids, they have the most incredible abilities to just learn and drink in information. But if we turn it into just a chore that they have to do and that we always argue about every single night, it's it's not good. And I think we have to have balance. And we sometimes talking to the teachers will work, sometimes figuring out with, with the child. Let's experiment with a couple things. Making it fun. Pull them into yeah. it, absolutely. Yeah, Give I know, them some ownership, I know it's too. one of my little guys that really struggles with homework. When we do spelling words and I give him a practice spelling test, I'll have some M&Ms there, and I'll say, for everyone you get right, you get an M&M. And sometimes it's finding that sweetener, that motivation that makes it a challenge for them. You have to ask and answer that question, what's the point? Bottom line. You're not using green and red M&Ms or something like that. You get green ones if you're right, red (laughs) ones if you fail. He would like that. I bet he would. (laughs) Because analytically, that might be. (laughs) Cynthia, um, we talked about the the learning styles, but let's talk about uh, how the kids, the basic ways 
that they process and perceive information. Uh, let's touch on that aspect of your books. Uh, yeah, the first one I think is uh, the concrete thinker. Right. Uh, describe for us what is that? You know, you have your concrete versus your abstract, and and the concrete mind is constantly looking for ways to. It's, it's more like an. In other words, what or, or what can I do with this, or what does this mean then? So, in other words, why? I want to put my hands on it. I want to absolutely understand and do something with it. The more abstract thinker is going, oh, I think there's more to it. Wait, wait, I don't think we have enough information yet. I think I've, you know, they're reading between the lines. They're sometimes dealing a little bit with more theory than fact. And and the, when they come in contact with each other, the more abstract one seems to always want a little bit more time and space, whereas the concrete one wants to just, let's just get it done. Speed. Right. I could see that in my kids as yeah. well. Also, you talk about uh, the sequentially oriented child and the random thinker. Uh, touch on that a little bit. Right. Well, you know, even even Julie, like you're talking about as a mom, okay, there's a schedule, and we have this and this and this and this, and we need to get this done, so this is the best way to do it. So get a grip and just do it. Whereas the more random kid goes, well, but the bottom line is it needs to get done, but why does it have to get done one, two, three? Why can't it be like three, one, two? And, and what if I don't feel like doing it? And and I can remember, you know, growing up, um, my mom saying, you know, I do a lot of things I don't feel like doing. And I would say, why? <laughs> I mean, I just don't understand why you force yourself to do. Because in my random mind, I'm thinking, I understand that it's important, and I won't let you down. But why does it have to be exactly step by step your way or nothing? You're on the pulse of a lot of frustration for those of us parents uh, right here. Because I, this is something I experience, and I think there are a lot of people... Uh, hearing right now what we're talking about, and they're right there too. Mm -hmm. You're living it like I am. And uh, how do we manage that? How do we get comfortable with three, two, one, as opposed to one, <laughs> two, three? I'm not sure you can get comfortable with it. I think it's it's a conscious adaptation you can make an adjustment. But I think again, when when you go back to awareness being part of the battle, I think talking to your kids about it, saying you realize that. This is going to drive me crazy if I don't have a plan, right? You understand that? <laughs> um, as a teacher saying, you, you realize that I am going to go ahead and kind of roll with this with you, but you understand what kind of mood it puts me in, right? I mean, is, is this where you want to be? And, and so the, you just talk about it. You own it out there. You just you address it. Instead of saying, you know, why can't you be and why won't you do, you actually say, I understand this makes you miserable. I'm sorry. I wish there was another way. Tonight there isn't. You know, tomorrow, maybe we can be more random. We'll try. Um, and, and it's funny, but like as kids, we're just going, oh, okay. I mean, just recognizing it, recognize my frustration, understand me. It makes a huge difference. As you talk about this randomness. It's driving you crazy already, Angela. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it is. I do have um, at least one random child, very random. And let me give you a typical night of homework. Um, it's chasing him around the house. It feels like, did you get your homework done? No, not yet. I forgot. I want to do this first. Why can't I do this first? Okay, do that first. Get your homework done. We, I sit down with them, help them focus. We get to about 930 at night. We finally got this work done. And How old then is he? He is 11. Okay. And so the next day, what happens? He forgets it at home. Because right. randomness means lack of organization. It means maybe it gets in the folder, maybe it doesn't, or maybe even puts it in his book bag, but he forgets to put it on the teacher's desk. Okay, but randomness doesn't mean lack of organization. It means I'm organized in a different way. And so if you insist that it be done a specific way, as most analytic 
folks like to do, then I'm all focused on what it looks like and what it has to be. And I completely miss the point that the work has to get done. So I can turn in something organized if that's what you're going for. But if you're really going for getting my work done, then and, and at 11, you need to be asking him, look, how will I know your homework's done? How will I know? Do you want my help with it? Ask more questions instead of constantly reminding. Because with the random kid, if you're constantly reminding me, I don't have to remember myself because mm-hmm. my mom will bug me again in a couple more minutes. And so I just kind of dismiss that. I've got lots of other things. Um, my mind is constantly swirling with stuff to do. So I don't really have to remember that because you remind me constantly. But what if you didn't? What if you just said, how will I know your homework is done by bedtime? You know, how do you want me to remind you? Let me come up at, with the child as, well, I want you to quit bugging me. Okay, I'll quit bugging you. How would you like me to remind you? Did and you, just, how will did I you know? just call me a nag? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling a little guilty no. about that. Um, but, but is it okay to put in a system for a kid like that? This is what you do next. This is how we make sure not only when you got it done, it gets in the homework folder, it's, it gets it's not to school. Okay. It's, I don't believe it's okay for you to put your system in, but I do believe it's okay to have a system. Cynthia, what I'm hearing you say, and for all of us as parents, again, this is critical, is help your child carry the burden so you as a parent are not having to carry and shoulder the whole thing. Is that fair? It is fair, and it's doing them a favor, too. They need to think about this because we're so used to in school and everywhere else, everybody just tells you what to do, so you really don't have to think about it. And then suddenly you graduate from high school, and nobody tells you anymore what you're supposed to do. So as early as possible, we do want to shift some responsibility, and we want to help our kids focus on what are your strengths? What is it going to take for you to use that? How? Because later, as your son gets into high school especially, he is going to he's not going to have you around all the time to continually tell him what to do. He needs to figure it out as early as possible to say, "Uh-oh, if I'm going to get that done, I better do this and I better do that so that he knows and he takes that responsibility." Well, I, and Julia, I appreciate the vulnerability. I you know, we're all doing this and I think we all in our homes, if we're honest, we have these kind of issues that we're dealing with. And uh, yet at the same time, there it's the don't sweat the small stuff keeps coming to my mind as we're talking with you, Cynthia. But the interesting thing is, too, I mean, here Julie is the analytic parent dealing with the random kid, right? I was the random parent dealing with my analytic son. I was driving him crazy just like I would drive Julie crazy because right? he's going, well, so what's the plan? I'm going... The plan. plan. <laughs> <laughs> Can't we just do the develop the plan as we go? It's and just, he's going, no, I need yeah. a plan. Well, so it can be both ways. It can. And Cynthia, you hit on a really key thing. And this is something that I'm in the middle of doing with all three of my kids at different stages. But transferring that motivation to succeed from me to them. Mm-hmm. And you have to in- help them become concerned about how they're performing and are they working up to their potential and again, it's different for different kids, and it's certainly different at different ages. But I know as I talk to parents, that's a huge concern. How do I get my 10-year-old, my 13-year-old, my 14-year-old to get to the point where they really care about their work and their effort? And in the end, can you do it for them? You can't. No matter how much you love your kids, no matter even as a teacher how much I care about my students, I can't succeed for them. I can't take charge of their success. So the more I teach them how they learn, the more time I can spend with them figuring out what their strengths are and how to use them, then I'm actually graduating learners and not just students who have somehow survived the system. John, Cynthia and Julie... 
provided some great information here on noticing our kids' strengths, being noticers as parents, and then building on those strengths and encouraging them to engage in what's before them. We go for the lowest hanging fruit, and many times kids are tired and they want someone else to do the work for them Mm. or for it to be easy. As parents, we get to encourage them along the way. It is going to be kind of hard and difficult, and sometimes setting small goals or maybe a timer is is important for a child to see, hey, this is attainable. I can get this chunk done. And we work by chunks. I mean, even as adults, we, we uh, enjoy that and appreciate that. And I've done that with my own kids, setting small goals, attainable goals, and then celebrating at the end. Hey, look at what you got done. At the end of the week, celebrating that, hey, this week you got all your work done. Way to go. Let's go celebrate as a family. And that's when we have some family time together. And that's the only time sometimes that we go to a restaurant mm-hmm. because we're celebrating hard work, well done. And it's not going to work the same for every family, but set those little little attainable goals as a family, and that, I think that can go a long way with mm. kids and homework. That's good advice, and we have a lot of other uh, great help for you, a uh, number of articles and other resources to really make the school year work well for your child. And uh, the starting point is focusonthefamily.com slash thriving student while you're there. Look for information. Uh, We're going to link over to Best Year Ever, which is a five-part video series covering these kinds of topics uh, on the podcast. Uh, Be sure as well to get a copy of Cynthia Tobias's book called The Way They Learn. Uh, We believe in this book. We've had Cynthia on the broadcast a number of times. She's published with Focus on the Family. We'll send The Way They Learn when you make a generous donation to the ministry of Focus on the Family. And I will invite you to do that at focusonthefamily.com slash thriving student. Just this reminder that we are supported by friends like you, and your generosity helps us every hour of the day to reach out and equip 28 parents in an average hour work through a crisis involving one of their kids. It's probably much more serious than schoolwork. It's life-altering decisions and uh, consequences, and we are there to help, but only because you donate. So please, support the ministry today. We'll send a copy of Cynthia Tobias's book. And uh, once again, the website is focusonthefamily.com slash thrivingstudent. All right, so next time we'll be talking about your child's social life in school. And so if kids are on technology all the time, that's going to wire their brain to expect everything to be quick, everything to be vibrant, everything to be loud, everything to be about them. And this is why when they read a textbook, if you will, it's like boring because their (laughs) name isn't in there. Well, welcome to Life 101. You know, life doesn't work like technology works. We'll be sharing more from that interview with Dr. Kathy Cook on the next episode of Thriving Student. And for now... Please help us get the word out about this podcast. Share it with your friends on social media. Give us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. On behalf of Danny Huerta and our entire team, thanks for listening. I'm John Fuller.